Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 320 with Ann Sugar. I think you'll love this chat with Ann because Ann is sharing about how to exude more gravitas, more executive presence, which can be a tricky thing to identify and communicate and teach, but she's done it with many, many impressive clients. And I think she'll help you do the same. So you'll learn one, the two key components of building trust, two, ninja tactics that help you read a room, and three, power questions that provoke solutions. So if you'd like to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep320. Now here's Ann's story. Ann Sugar is an executive coach and speaker who has advised top leaders at companies, including TripAdvisor, Sanofi Genzyme, and Havas. Ann serves as an executive coach for Harvard Business School Executive Education and has guest lectured at MIT. Thanks to Ann for spending some time with us and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Here is Ann. Anne, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Oh, thanks so much, Pete, for having me today. I'm excited to chat with you. Oh, me too. Me too. But first, I'd like to go back in time a little bit, if I could. Yes. <laughs> in your Texas childhood, you enjoyed visiting the stockyards. What is the backstory here? <laughs> so I grew up outside of um, Fort Worth, Texas. And I think, so why did I bring that up? It's just one of those interesting kind of memories that I have. And it's not so much about the animals in the stockyard, it's watching all of the businessmen negotiate and yell and and um, negotiate with each other. That's kind of the big memory that I have of that is all of the people interacting and how it was working. And, you know, my dad and I just to, used to just walk around and listen and look. So uh, just kind of, I think it's a short way of saying hey, this is exactly where I should be in terms of coaching people today. Um, is, you know, just that interesting thing of watching people and how you influence and get what you want, right? Yeah, that's cool. And so you mean like negotiate like $200 for this pig? No, no way. That's a ridiculous price. <laughs> I mean, it was like a Sotheby's auction, you know, the, the guy would be up there, but there would all be all of these conversations before the auction started, which was really interesting to me as a kid in, in listening to those side conversations before the auctioneer went up and uh, started the bidding process. So it's kind of the, the backstory that was happening before he started auctioning. So that was always just interesting to me. That's cool. Well, yes, every superhero has an origin story, you know, and here's yours. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. So it's just a interesting kind of random memory that you have growing up. You know, it's kind of interesting. Why do we have these these memories and things that are impactful to us? So mm -hmm. that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's a big one. Well, speaking of impact, it seems you're making a world of impact with your executive coaching. So could you maybe just give us the quick overview picture of sort of what is your area of expertise when you're coaching folks? Sure. So um the interesting kind of piece is that I have a business background. I worked in advertising agencies for over 20 years, about 20 years. And so I um, worked on large pieces of business like Apple Computer and American Express. And I coach broadly across all um, hypo executives from director, 
C-suite level. And I coach in companies like TripAdvisor, Sanofi, Genzyme, Havas. Um, and I like the interesting um, dynamic of lots of different verticals, lots of different levels, because it just helps me in terms of how I ask a good question and keeps me learning as well, which helps um, other organizations. Um, and I also coach in the Harvard Business School Executive Edge Program, um, which are C-suite folks, director folks that come in for intensive three-month, six-month um, programs. Mm-hmm. And just to be clear, when you say hypo, you mean high potential and not an abbreviation for sodium thiosulfate, the photographic <laughs> fixer? Exactly. High potential individuals, yes. Okay. Who have something that they need to work on, you know, and it, and Peter, a lot of it has to do with the small details and those little things that we all need to tweak or people moving to the next level um, and have some areas to work on from that perspective. All right. Well, I'd love it when we dig into some of the small details that make a big difference. It's such a leveraged way to learn. So maybe let's dig into some of these areas. I guess I'm really interested in the notion of executive presence or gravitas, which is an area that pops up a lot for you in the coaching. Could you maybe orient us to make it all the more real in terms of hearing a little bit about a client, like where they were and what was sort of holding them back and what was the intervention and the result? Sure. So, you know, I think we all start at this level playing field of we're all smart. We all have these very unique strengths that um, we all have that we bring to the business. But here's an interesting story. So I was working with a gentleman, he's a director in R&D, and he was having difficult, he, he had so many great insights and ideas. He was needing to sell to senior leadership to get, to get, sell his ideas so that he could um, garner budget for his team. And he was having this issue for himself that when we think about executive presence, let me take a step back. There's so many different components of executive presence. But for him, if we really thought about gravitas and selling and people listening, that's where he fell short. So one time we, we, part of the coaching process um, for him was to dissect the process of how he sold, right? So he, he was telling me the story that he was in a senior leadership meeting and was presenting his large in-depth document. And he said to me, you know, on page five, we got to page five and the senior leadership team said, that's great. We're, we're ready to go. But he kept presenting the rest of the 20 pages Hmm. and he lost, quote unquote, his executive presence and gravitas because he wasn't listening. He'd already gotten, quote unquote, the sale. He didn't need to present the last 20 pages. He delivered on the first five. So for him, one piece about executive presence for him really listening to the room and how did he influence? So now for him, when he goes in to present his budgets and what he needs, he really sets force in two ways. He pre-sells before he goes in and he sits and listens to the room in terms of what they need 
and flexes from that perspective. So that's how he just learned over time how to kind of to manage and watch the room. And that's one small piece of executive presence, but for him, it was really impactful. That's interesting. And I'm curious, I guess there could be all sorts of things under the surface that leads one to want to proceed through all 25 pages when there is <laughs> uh, it's not there. It turns out, I worked really hard on these pages. I want to show them to you. Right. Or I don't think you really understand how critical this is. Or yeah, well, now I'm just so curious and wrapped up in the story. What was going on there? Well, so from his perspective, you're absolutely right. From his perspective, uh, you know, I'm just going to make an example here. On page 30, he thought it was something that was very important that he needed to communicate. But for his leadership team, it wasn't important in terms of making the decision, right? So I think taught sometimes for leaders is they have a, they have a, a picture in their head of how the meeting has to progress. And they have a linear way from where they start to finish. And part, you know, and I learned this in advertising too, part of executive presence is kind of the theater of it, right? How it's not just a linear process of I'm going to start on page one of my PowerPoint presentation and hit to 50, it's the theater and the story of how you sold. And he sold his story on page five. Mm-hmm. It need to go further. And, you know, two, I think that's something that's important from uh, an executive presence perspective is trust, right? He, he had the trust. He had built trust from an executive presence perspective. So they didn't need to say, see page 30. Because he built, when I think about trust too, it's not just about walking the talk and, and you know, that cliched phrase, it's about competence as well, right? Mm-hmm. And there's so many, you know, we could talk forever, Pete, about the many different layers um, that go into executive presence. But, you know, it's trust, understanding the room, reading the room, influencing the room, flexing. and it's just leadership is not linear in many cases. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so I think that you outlined a nice little bit there in terms of the trust, the understanding, the listening, and the flexing. Mm-hmm. Could you maybe give us a couple pointers when it comes to trust? It sounds like you know you really build that over time by having great confidence and such. But mm-hmm. are there any maybe little ways that we fritter away trust, even if we're excellent? Oh, that's a really good point, and I think the. One area that I would say that's two areas, actually. And I was actually just coaching um, a senior executive on this, and it has to do with relatability, right? Are you able, trust is about being able to relate and understand, and it gets to empathy, right? That person's point of view, right? And I think, too, it's about just a simple piece of caring. Right. Do 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 people believe that you care? And, you know, I think that those are two really key components. And this is an interesting story. It's it's not about um, actually a client of mine. It has to do with my daughter and her lacrosse coach. And it's interesting. She came home to me one day and she said she has a very tough um, lacrosse coach. 
And this lacrosse coach was trying in her way to flex and be sort of caring. But my daughter said to me, you know, mom, she was trying to be really nice, but something felt really weird. (laughs) I'm talking about a 13 year old here, but it actually relates to everybody. For you as a leader, it's just this, this authentic piece to it, right? She, what, what she was feeling, what she couldn't articulate, but was it didn't feel authentic to her. It felt weird, mm-hmm. right? Right. In terms of it, all sorts of examples come to mind in terms of if you've been told a behavior, smile, make eye contact, nod your head, ask, does anybody else have a perspective on this matter? <laughs> and then if, if you clearly don't actually care, they pick up on that. And thusly, it feels weird and inauthentic. Absolutely. And so you have to decide at what point do you care? And, you know, we think about, I like to say that business is a team sport. Leadership is a team sport. And we do need people, right? Because, you know, we do need to think in some way, how can we be empathetic? So here, Pete, I'm going to contradict myself for a second. When I think about coaching some individuals on this building trust, when people are working, when I'm working with people on a specific strategy or tactic that will help them from a leadership perspective, in the beginning, it is a bit clunky and it might feel a little bit inauthentic. Some of the things you might be working on, whether it's I'm going to test a new way to influence this person. It's almost like you're writing with your non-dominant hand. And over time, you, you see the change in evolution. But there's that subtle difference of being inauthentic and working on a skill. Mm-hmm. Yo, I like that. Understood. And so it can feel weird to you as you're doing it. And it may even look weird as others are picking up on that. Mm-hmm. And so, well, next I want to kind of dig into the understanding listening a little bit. Are there any particular kind of telltale signs or indicators that we should be particularly clued in on? Like in your example, the, okay, we got it, you know, feels like a real gift in terms of that's very explicit and clear, you know, in terms of what you think about things. But often, you know, there's the subtext, there's the subtleties, there's the tone, there's the wincing or body language. You know, what are some top things you recommend people look out for as indicators as to what's going on in the room? So I think you bring up a fantastic point, and I coach people on this all the time, is that body language never lies. We can't, in many instances, we can't hide those subtle, those subtleties. So one way that I coach individuals to work on understanding and starting to pick up on the physicality and the nuances in the room is called turn down the sound. When you're in a meeting, Almost turn down the sound and not listen to everybody, but watch everybody's body language. And in many cases, you can tell how the meeting is going. You don't even need the words. So that's one specific way that I coach individuals to practice on that. And listening is practice. Oh, I like that. Mm -hmm. It's just truly about practice. And it's the subtleties of the other very important point, and you know, I learned this as a coach, is slowing down and not formulating your answer before somebody is finished. If you truly relax into just listening to that person speak, then you have a much better chance 
of picking up on the subtleties, number one. And, you know, many times you miss the last part of what they're saying or what that question is because you're already formulating. You can't do two things at once. So I, I liken it to this person that used to work for me. And I would speak and he would almost pause for a second and then talk and, and have these great nuggets and insights. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I would be, after a while, I'd get so annoyed. Just talk. But actually, really, he was being very thoughtful and listening. And, I, you know, I was a very naive manager back then. And now that I think about it, he truly was listening. Right. And I think that people have a bit of uh, maybe a fear or concern. It's like, if I'm silent, then I'll look dumb or slow, yes. you know, like I'm not with it and sharp and engaged and on top of the exchange. And I'm thinking about the West Wing in which they're always talking so fast <laughs> back and forth. It's true. <laughs> and striding. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And, you know, they're very um, symptomatic of the, in, when we're in meetings, when leaders are in meetings, they fear of not being the smartest guy in the room. And I was actually, I was listening to somebody and he was speaking about that actually the smartest people are the ones that ask the most questions. Mm-hmm. And that's where you get the good listening and the learning. It's not always about having the best point of view, frankly. Right. Yes. I like that a lot. And I'm intrigued when you say turning down the sound. I can't recall the movie, but I know I've seen it before in terms of people are talking and then like there's like the dolly push shot, zoom in and like the chatter blends together that effect. And then you can really sort of observe what's unfolding. I don't know. Do you have a scene in mind? I know I've seen this before. I know. You know what? And I don't. The I listeners don't know, will serve it, us here. Tell yeah. us. <laughs> See, we're asking questions. We're listening. We don't have all the answers. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, that's great. So we talked about some broad concepts, but I'd love it if you could maybe even zoom into a, a couple of tactical things in terms of some big do's and don'ts that are these little details that can make a world of difference. So some very tactical, impactful ideas for everybody. I think it's a, one is about asking a good question. So this individual that I was coaching, he was a director of sales, had a, had a difficult time in an unmotivated team. And so when we really drilled down into a lot of different um, areas, the one piece that he found was that People didn't really think he cared about what they had to say. So, and he was really smart and he already knew the answer. But what he learned is asking just this, this question is so impactful that really helps to motivate a team is it's crazy simple. So what do you think? Mm -hmm. Just asking that person. So what do you think opens up first? You might get an idea that you didn't think of and Frankly, people want to be heard, their point of view, whether, you know, right or wrong, uh, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of um, what we need, people want to be heard. So I think that that's one thing that is um, very tactical and specific. I think um, something that I was just coaching um, a senior leader in HR today on is about the tactical piece of positive intent, right? And that 
how, when we're working with somebody, how do we look at it from a positive intent perspective? And Indra Nori from the CEO of Pepsi, she has a great quote on it, uh, you know, that she looks at everything from a positive intent and, and not looking for the problems all the time. So how can you look at from a positive intent perspective? So then positive intent, it means that we're assuming that the person we're talking to is doing their best, you know, trying to support mm-hmm. the team and make results happen, as opposed to, could you maybe sort of contrast real clearly, hey, this would be a negative intent versus a positive intent way to approach something. Right. So it might be, you know, for example, this this person was talking about where they were all on um, instant chat and somebody was sending these terrible flaming remarks, right, across. And she really was trying to take a step back and assume that, okay, maybe this person was upset because of X, right? And when she pulled them into the office, she found that actually it was that way. But, you know, not assuming the worst in all cases. Like this person's a jerk, they're a troublemaker, they're selfish. Right, like, why are you sending this flaming, you know, over the public domain to me, how can you, how can you be doing that? Yeah. So, and then lastly, this is a tried and true. Um, I, I just did a training on this is actually taking the strength finder assessment. It was really impactful for this team to understand each other's strengths. And you can get the book cliff finder, the Gallup cliff finder, strength finder 2.0, on Amazon, I think it's for $18, right? And you get a sec- you get your secret code and you take it. And I feel like a lot of times lately we've kind of moved away from the strengths piece, but I think it's important, you know, and you think about it too from almost a cross-training perspective. How can I use this strength and this strength to help me here, right? Not so much of a blunt object, but how do I mold and integrate um, together? Hmm. Very nice. So when it comes to, you know, doing some of these things with the trust, the understanding, the listening, uh, the positive intent, the questions, how do we then sort of take this enhanced understanding to be more influential? I think so. Thanks. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's how do you flex? Simply, how do you flex in delivering the information to the person Um, that is the decision maker or, you know, that I need to, it's my peers. And how do I, how do I do that? And at the beginning, when you and I were talking about the director of R&D, he wasn't flexing, right? He wanted to go through all the details, but the senior leadership team just wanted the bottom line. So it's really understanding your audience and how they want the information served up. And could you maybe unpack a couple continuums, continua associated with how they'd like information presented. So one could be, you know, the details versus bottom line, and maybe another could be story versus data. Yeah. What are a few more? So another one might be process. I'm somebody that wants to see you went through the entire process, right? That might be another one. Another way might be more from a people-oriented perspective. I want to hear about the impact of the people, how this will affect the people, not so much the process or the data and the details. And two, you know, think about that person sometimes when you go into a meeting, they first want to hear about your weekend. 
and you actually don't want to talk about it at all. You'd rather just get to the bottom line details. If that that's the disconnect and that's where the conflict starts, right? Because they say, well, you don't care. You don't, you, you know, you don't care about the people and they shut down and they're not going to listen to what you have to say. So, and I'm not saying that people have to completely change who they are. It's just about serving up different modes and methods of delivering information and how you relate to people. All right. Excellent. Well, I also want to get your take since you've done a whole lot of coaching. We had Michael Bungay stand here on the show a couple of times talking about how professionals can be more coach-like. And I'd love to hear what are some of your favorite go-to questions that really seem to have a, a nice track record of yielding good stuff, insights, conviction, brilliant ideas. It's just power questions. Sure. Well, I think one of the biggest power questions that I use is people say to me, well, tell me what you think. And I say to them, I will tell you what I think, but you first have to tell me three ideas so that I'm not clouding their interesting point of view with what I might think. Um, Another key question that I use is, so I'm curious, tell me a time. Um, And that that works. Another key question I ask is, so tell me a story of when it went right or when it went well, because you can use that to diagnose. And I think too, what what we're talking about here is coaching people so that they come to you with solutions, that you're not the leader who is um, force feeding your ideas. Mm-hmm. And for the, I'm curious, tell me a time, is that in response to no one ever listens to me or, or like a sweeping statement, if that's how you dig in or, or what's the context for that? So when I say I'm curious, it could be, I'm curious about that. When I say I'm curious, it lowers the intensity of the conversation because I'm just curious, right? I just want to learn is what I'm saying to you. Mm-hmm. So it lowers the level of anxiety in a meeting. It's almost like a door opener from a sales perspective. Right. As opposed to, I'm asking this question because you need to prove yourself. Exactly. And one question that I caution people on is, so why did you do that? So if I said to you, Pete, so why did you ask me that question? Right. That that almost implies a feeling of well, what did I do wrong? Now, I'm not saying that why is not a good question. I'm just saying that sometimes it can put people on the defensive as well. Right. So it's those little subtleties. That's what we started talking about. It's the small little details. Mm-hmm. Well, Anne, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. I think one thing that I want to stress, and, and I coach a lot on this, is conflict. And the the piece that I'd like to kind of convey for everybody is, you know, it doesn't always, we want to be polite and kind in meetings, but actually conflict is good. And how do you look at conflict from a non-personal perspective and use the data and the facts? And the piece about if I'm having a conflict in a debate, it's actually that I care. 
because I want to hear this different point of view. So I think that's that's one point I want to stress to everybody because a lot of us shy away from conflict, but how can we use it and change our mindset that conflict is good? Mm-hmm. And I think just think all the emotional stuff that's wrapped into it. Absolutely. Any pro tips for just navigating those waters? Yes. In fact, I was coaching a director of an oil refinery. He had 700 people underneath him and he dealt with a lot of conflict and crisis. And if you think about it, there's a lot of stress in the fact of damage and fires and all that. And I said to him, well, how do you deal with conflict and how do you deal with this crisis, the crises that happen? And he said to me, it all comes down to dealing with the facts and not letting get all, all the emotions get in the way, but I use I really focus on the data and the details. And I think another specific tactic that I would coach everybody on is when when you're debating an idea, don't just debate one idea, but how can you as a team think about three different ideas that you debate? Because when you're thinking when you're only debating and having conflict on one idea, that's where teams get competitive and that's where the personal kind of piece comes in. You didn't like my idea. But if you have multiple ideas, then there's the less personal piece to it. So it's about facts and many different points of view to debate. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? So I really think it goes back to the Pepsi CEO quote about really just focusing on positive intent. Okay. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research? Strengths. In terms of, it, it really has popped up more and more lately for me in, in terms of how do I focus on my strengths? And we all have these areas that we need to be focusing on. But it was it, it's interesting that this one gentleman was telling me in, in frustration, he had somebody working for him that he just wished he could be more strategic, but he wasn't ever, he was never going to be that strategic visionary, but he had so many other different great strengths. And so sometimes it's okay. You know, we all want to be strategic, but it's okay. That research of saying, leveraging your strengths and not having to worry about that one area as much maybe, you know, and trying to force fit that from research from that perspective. All right. And how about a favorite book? Oh, I have so many. But I think one that I really like is um, the Heath Brothers, The Power of Moments. And really about how, as when you're a leader, how do you create these moments um, that are impactful for your team? Because it really gets down to, at the beginning of the conversation, Pete, that we were talking about sincerity and caring and relatability. So it's really about those people moments. So I I, like everything that the Heath brothers have written. Okay. And a favorite habit? Actually, I coach this on with a lot of folks and I think it's reading. And it's not the sexy kind of habit, but many executives that I see that are successful are the ones that are continually learning and reading. Mm Mm-hmm. And Anne, if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? So I would um, direct them to my website at annsugar.com. So it's A-N-N-E, sugar, just like sugar.com. Or they can also follow me on LinkedIn. I send out 
many articles a day um, and ideas to help everybody. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for those seeking to be awesome at their jobs? I think that the most important thing is to continue learning. And how do you continue learn? How do you listen? And lastly, just try. Leadership is about testing all different kinds of strategies and figuring out what the best ways are. And it's all about experimentation. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Well, Anne, thanks so much for taking this time and sharing your wisdom. I wish you lots and lots of luck with the coaching and the speaking and all that you're up to. Oh, thank you so much, Pete. It's been great speaking to you as well. I really liked Anne's approaches of avoiding why questions because they inspire or provoke defensiveness, as well as saying, I'm curious, which is a real nice combination instead of saying, why did you do this? I'm curious, what led you to choose this? And then suddenly it's just kind of a fun chat. Like, you know what? That is kind of a curious thing. Well, here's sort of where I'm coming from. Totally different response and so quick and easy to just integrate that into your vocabulary and get better results in those exchanges. So again, if you want to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's awesomeatyourjob.com slash F320. If you have not already, I hope you'll push the subscribe button. You'll hear from our next guest. It is Mamie Stewart. Mamie has spent a lot of time researching meetings, what makes them effective, creating software for it, and shares all of her pro tips and best practices and how you might find yourself saving a ton of time eliminating meetings or being more productive and selective in which meetings you attend and having way less boredom and frustration and time wasted in your work life. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 